All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Think Podcast. My name is Joel Sedicase and... Rafe Chenery, Pastor Rafe over here. Pastor Rafe, brother, how you doing, man? Man, it's good to be here. It's good to see you. Dude, it's good to see you too, even if it is virtual, since we're all still on lockdown. I know. I, I was just thinking before we came on, I'm looking forward to the day where I can sit across the table from you and have an actual live conversation. And how much more natural a live conversation is when you can sit across the table than when you're trying to wait for the right delays in someone's speech to jump in. I know. Uh, dude, I, know. I do look forward to that day. This is a, a close second for, uh, for how that actually goes. Yeah, believe me when I say I look forward to being able to talk over you again and, mm-hmm. and just uh, you know rudely interrupt. Yeah, uh, I'm I miss those days, Joel. Dude, I miss me too. them. <laughs> me too. Well, um, everybody, thank you for watching. If you're listening to this later on, if you're going to catch the video stream later on after it's live, thank you guys for watching. This is the Think Podcast, and this is the show where we tackle impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Now, this week we are starting a new format. We've sort of been hinting at it, sort of been building toward it, but it is the new weekly format where we are going to have a different show for you every single day. We're not going to get there right away, but by the end of next week and the week after that, we are literally going to have a new show every week. What are those shows going to be? Let me tell you about them. On Monday, it's going to be the Monday Minute. That's where yours truly is going to attempt to outline a theological or apologetic or biblical truth in one minute or less, just to give you a little boost for your Monday morning. Is that possible? Can I communicate a thought in one minute? Well, I've never done it yet, but with God, all things are possible. So you pray for me. On Tuesday, we've got the Tuesday twofer where you get two Christian thinkers or two thinkers, I should say, because you might have some unbelievers on, but two thinkers for the price of one. The price, of course, is still free. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to this, but maybe someday we'll have some sort of a subscription plan. I don't know, TBD, but you get two thinkers for the price of one on Wednesday. You also get two thinkers, but it's a little different. This is with, this is Worldview Wednesdays with Pastor Rafi and we are, uh, (laughs) let me update my Twitter handle on that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is, this is where we are addressing a, the last time I was called, that was my little sister back when I was 12 years old. Appreciate that, Joel. We're bringing it back, man. She told me, she told me that it'd be good, that it'd be all right to bring it back. Um, at least I assume that's what she'd say. Uh, and and we're we're talking current events. We're talking about the news, and, and we're talking about uh, government and church and family. We're going to talk about these things from a biblical perspective, the Christian worldview. On Thursdays, we're going to get uh, involved with Thunder Thursdays. That's where my brother Parker and I, the Sons of Thunder, we we tackle some philosophical problem that you weren't even wondering about, um, but you now can't wait to hear the answer to. And then on Friday, we're doing Fast Fridays, where I'm going to give a five-minute or less answer to a basic question about Christianity. So all that being said, that's what's up with me. That's what's up with the Think Institute. Rafe, brother, What's new with you this week, man? What's uh, how's how's the family? How has lockdown been treating you? Looks like you got someone else in your office there. You wanna you wanna let I, us know what's going on? No, I have my uh, wonderful music director for our church who just walked in our office. So hello, Nate. Good to see you. Uh, we're on we're on live right now. Um, no, how's my family doing? Family's doing good, Joel. Uh, the uh, actually just had lunch with them before I came back over here. I think everyone's a little antsy. I'm proud of my wife. You know, I think uh, the the homeschooling thing. And being a mom and then adding in uh, homeschooling rules. And I think just the kids are going through a lot with all this too. I think that's one thing we kind of forget about is 
the kids are picking up on everything. They're processing it all and they're, they've got emotions and feelings and doing school and trying to do that at home without their friends. And so I'm proud of my wife, all that she's been handling at home. Uh, so I think overall we're doing well. I just keep praying for wisdom and leading the church and being a faithful pastor, yeah. uh, caring for people well, and uh, man, just figuring out how the church not just survives, but flourishes in this season. Mm. And so um, we're plenty busy on this end. And uh, it's just, everyone's trying to figure this out as we go one day at a time. Absolutely. And did I see on social media that your wife, did she cut your hair? My wife did. Actually, th this is number two. She did a good job on this thing, didn't she? Man. I mean, hey, look at that. That's a nice yeah, fade right there. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and a blessing from the Lord. I'll tell you. I'm never going back to the barber shop. I got my own barber at home now. Dude, you you are blessed, man. You are very blessed. You know, um, I got a little haircut, uh, for f not from Elisa, but for Elisa, and it wasn't the top of my head, as you can see. I, I've got the mane growing out on top, but I I did sh shave off the quarantine stash today. And uh, my wife's reaction when I did that, uh, it made really made it all worth it, especially when I planted one on her. Uh, she <laughs> <laughs> she was a big fan of that. So um, so dude, what are we talking about today, man? Let's see. So uh, we picked a real light topic for the first official uh, Worldview Wednesdays where uh, I think you titled this, did uh, the governor of Illinois go too far? Uh, and really, I think the, the, the bigger topic before we get into that is just around the, the role of government and church and how those two things uh, work alongside each other. How are Christians supposed to think about the government? Um, how do Christians uh, behave within a government? How do churches behave within a government? And so I think the the larger framework of the conversation we were looking at was around government and the church and how do those two things work? And then specifically, uh, as, gov or as our governor, Pritzker, just put out a, his five-step plan for reopening uh, the state of Illinois yesterday, kind of thinking through some of the things we're seeing and how do we process what we're re reading in the news as a Christian from a Christian worldview. And so I'd, I'd say big topic today is government, which, you know, I, if I could just say, I feel like most people... Uh, most Christians really have a um, what I would consider a wrong um, impression and understanding okay. of the Christians' uh, relationship to their government. Big picture, as in like global history, but mm -hmm. also very particularly in the country that we live in America. And that does give its own nuances on what the particular liberties that churches have and the, the foundation of our country, uh, which I think play into this. And so I'm excited to dig in. And uh, not that I am the expert on this topic by any means, but it's a, I am a student of history. I love, I love learning on this topic and I love to talking about it as well. So plenty to what do you, talk about. Um, dude, you, you jumped right in there. What do you think is the church's, let's say the American church's biggest misunderstanding when it comes to the world? And we're going to dive in, right? But what's our biggest misunderstanding between, you know, this concept yeah. of, of church and government? What are we missing? Well, I think there's, a lot of things were missing. Um, and I, I, it kind of is tough to know where to start because you got to lay a foundation at some point and the, the foundation has a lot of nuances to it, scripture wrapped in there. Let me let me start by saying what I think the the biggest misconception is, is, is an odd one. Because uh, historically, one of the figures that's oftentimes celebrated, most churches in America, uh, well, many churches in America, will celebrate the legacy and the life work of Martin Luther King Jr., and you think of what uh, Martin Luther King Jr. did. And he was uh, one who, uh, rooting himself, uh, this is the historical kind of, uh, and obviously there's uh, 
discussion to be had on his particular views on, on Christian doctrines, and that's a conversation for another day. But rooting himself in the biblical narrative and, and, and uh, the scriptural mandate for the equality of all people, he uh, advocated for political change. And so is it really interesting because on the one hand, you have uh, people that are celebrated. And you look back on a lot of these people and you say there's something very right about seeking to see political change. But the biggest misconception is the exact opposite of that. In general, I think for a long time, uh, most people have just thought of the church uh, as stay out of politics. You know, uh, that's not our role. Let the politics be the politicians and let the Christians be the Christians and then everyone will get along just fine. We stay in our silo and uh, let them have the rest. And that is a fundamental misunderstanding of both the biblical worldview, but also of the fabric of America and the history of what makes America so great. Pastor Rafe, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So pff, debunked, <laughs> moving on. Yes. Well, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? <clears throat> I asked Doug Wilson that same question last time I had him on. Let's see if your answer is as good. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of ways to respond to that. Uh, I think, obviously, Jesus is right. His kingdom is not of this world, just as he is not of this world. And yet Jesus made himself part of this world. He incarnated himself into human flesh, took on our nature. And, and he calls us to live while citizens of our heavenly citizenship, he calls us to lights and salt of the earth here and to actually be, be participants in change here while we're here, knowing that our, our, um, our truest citizenship uh, is in a sense otherworldly and yet also uh, rolling out in the kingdom here. So what I would say is, you know, a really good starting place is going back in the book of Acts. There's this fascinating moment as the early church begins to take root. And remember, the early church was uh, this kind of small cult. Uh, that's a, maybe not the right word to describe it. We wouldn't use cult that way. But it was a, a small group mm -hmm. within Judaism that was in Jerusalem at the time. And there was a rule, right? So the, the big proclamation, one that was well known, and I'm, I wrote this down here so I don't screw it up. Uh, the religious principle of the Roman Empire from the days of Augustus was that there was salvation in one name. This was a political statement. There was salvation to be found in none other save Augustus, and there is no other name given to men in which they can be saved. Unreal. Right? That's a political statement. Yeah. Now there's a, um, for all intents and purposes, a kingly figure with a political statement about where salvation can be found. And you got to understand uh, that as much as we can't necessarily understand what it was like to be alive in first century Israel that day. That was the language. That was the worldview of politics at the day and the worldview the government wanted you to think about politics at the day. And to say anything else was really, you know, political, ana politically anathema. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're right. And there was this intermingling. There was this intermingling of the political and the religious spheres because the requirement of the Roman empire where you had to, you know, go to the, the sort of the census polling place and offer a pinch of oh, yeah. incense on the altar to Caesar. And you had to swear either Kaiser Curios, uh, some reports say, or other reports say, you know, by the genius of the empire. In other words, it's sort of another way of saying in Caesar, we live, move and right. have our being, you know, he's, right. he's our Lord. And, and you just said it right there, a pinch. Notice how subtle it is. This right. is first century, first century right. world. Just a pinch yep. 
of right. worship at the altar of Caesar. You can still worship Jesus as long as, uh -huh. as long as you offer that pinch to Caesar. And what you have is you, you have something that should not be political, i.e. our worship being made explicitly political. And you know, mm -hmm. a while back I watched John MacArthur on the Sunday special with Ben Shapiro. Mm -hmm. And I saw that. Okay. So, so you know what I'm talking about? And uh, Ben Shapiro is asking John MacArthur, you know, how involved, why do, you know, why should Christians be involved in politics nowadays? And one of the things John MacArthur said was 50 years ago, so many of these issues were not political. Mm. Marriage was not seen as a political issue. Today, marriage is a political issue. Right. And so the church has always taken a stand on marriage. It's just that today the goalposts have moved. The yep. Overton window has moved. In other words, the window of what's acceptable in society has moved. And now Christians standing where we've always stood mm -hmm. find ourselves in the middle of this controversy about marriage, this, right. this now political issue. Right. And and so I'm I'm wondering as we're, you know, the, the title of this video is has the governor of Illinois gone too far? Um, you know, maybe we should get into this, the idea, the the potential conflict between religion, between church and state. You know, are, are we trying to encroach on the state? You know, those of us who might want to start meeting again, or is this the state moving into our sphere telling us, you know, some, some, to do something which is tantamount to offering a pinch of incense? <laughs> To well, and, and before we move on to that, I just want to finish the thought for our readers who weren't able to necessarily pick or listeners who weren't able to pick up on the nuance there. The, the language Caesar made everybody say in his kingdom where he was the king was salvation is to be found in none other but Augustus. And there is no other name given a man where you might be saved. And if you remember in Acts chapter four, the apostle Peter, he went into a public place. And, and he said, there is salvation in no other name, and you cannot be saved in any other name but through Jesus Christ. And he literally took the political statement and he redefined it accurately. And it was a political statement. Um, now, I think you can, uh, there's ways to abuse what I'm trying to say there. But what I'm saying at the minimum right now is uh, Christians should be very interested in governments, earthly governments being run uh, biblically and in a healthy way. And Joel, I may have just lost you. Uh, so I'm just going to finish that thought while you try to jump back on here with me. But Christians should be very interested in seeing governments all around the world behave as godly governments, understanding their sphere of influence and what God created them to do and what he didn't create them to do. And where there's injustice, we trust God that he will ultimately bring about, um, that he will bring about change. And oftentimes he'll use his people to do that. Yes, and you know when we're thinking about the the relationship between church and state, you know we can probably approach it from two different perspectives. There's probably three perspectives. There usually are three perspectives, uh, but I'm only seeing two of them right now. On the one hand, you've got um, listen. As a good student of John Frame, I see three you perspectives. Get your perspective. Yeah, that's right. You can only see three perspectives. John. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, yes, affirmative and indubitably, uh, there, Rafe. So the, um, you know, the question can be approached one from how, how should government and church interact with each other as, as distinct spheres of authority? Mm -hmm. Okay. Both established by God. 
And of course, the third sphere of authority that I didn't mention is the family. That's the, family. That, the household, right? And the fourth would be the self. But the classically, the three spheres would would include the family. Is yes, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, correct. Um, the um, the the so that's the first perspective. The second perspective is this: the Bible nowhere tells Christians not to enter into politics. The Bible doesn't tell Christians. Uh, in fact, there's there's evidence that in the early church, there were people who were, you know, for example, members of Herod's household and things like mm -hmm. that. You know, there were people who were in the political realm. I mean, by the time you get to the, the 300s, you've got that famous or infamous conversion of the emperor Constantine, who is the right. preeminent politician. I mean, he was the emperor. Right. right. And so the second perspective we have to bring to this conversation is how should we expect Christians to behave as politicians, when the, when you enter the political sphere, do you just give up your Christian presuppositions? Mm. Do you give up your your biblical faith, or are you expected to act like a Christian in that office? In the exact same way, we would expect an atheist to act like an atheist or a Muslim to act like a Muslim. Now, mm. of course, we have Christians are at a little bit of an advantage here, I would say, because we have our founding documents, which any public, uh, any any officer, any holder of a public office is going to be. You know, duty bound to uphold those founding documents, but those happen to have been written largely from a Christian perspective in the first place, right? So, so Christians kind of have a, a double whammy going. I've got my personal faith, but then I've also got the fact that you know I've got over two hundred and thirty years of um, of a Christian uh, tradition and establishment behind me. Right. So, so when we're when we're thinking about this um, this issue of the, the governor, Rafe, how do we approach this? As Christians talk in politics, how do we approach this? Well, okay, so we got to start with an understanding of the word sphere. So you brought up historic language, um, spheres of authority, which I think maybe would be helpful to understand. Look, Let's do it. At the end of the day, this is Worldview Wednesday, right? Right. We're in Worldview Wednesday. What that means is, as Christians, and as a pastor particularly, and I know this is your heart as well, Joel, you were a pastor, you're a minister of the gospel. Yeah. I know your heart is the same thing. You want to see Christians pick up this Bible, right? Not this particular Bible, but their yeah. Bible, <clears throat> and literally see the world through it. The, the words of God give us everything we need to function as godly people within our families, within our churches, within the government, and it instructs us and gives us a worldview to understand truth. And the thing about it is, is, uh, many people today think that there's just like this neutral worldview out there and that Christianity is somehow this deviation from neutral and is weird. There's, there's no neutral. There's no neutral worldview. There's an atheistic worldview. There's a Hindu worldview. There's a, a secular worldview, which is a little bit of, there's a spiritual world. There's many different worldviews and everyone is going to give you a different posture where you try to understand truth and how you relate in different parts of your life. How do you think about government? Well, if you go to atheism uh, and you look to atheism for your worldview, which is not a neutral worldview, you get one perspective on government. Well, probably many, many different perspectives. Sure. But if you come to the scriptures, which is what Christians want to do, we want to build upward from the scriptures and see the world through the lens of reality. Now, the lens of reality for the scriptures, how do we think about government? Well, it certainly is not easy. I don't want to stand here and say, or sit here today and say, man, it's it's a simple equation. You know, one plus one equals two. This is what government ought to look like. That's not the case. It's it, There's a lot of mess in here. And we're Christians filled with the Holy Spirit who can figure this out as we go by God's grace. But there is some clarification. And there's kind of two big New Testament passages. And 
And by the way, we can go all through the Old Testament to get understanding of this as well. But for the sake of organizing thought, Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. All right, let's just pause there. So right away, Christian worldview. We understand that every authority that is in power exists solely because God has established it to exist in power. Yes, and we get pushback on this. And I say we, Christians, those who want to hold to Romans 13 as being you know, breathed out by God, as all scripture is, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we get pushback in two different directions here, Rafe. On the one hand, we get people who... Um, who who would say something like, oh, uh, so you believe in the, you know, the divine right of kings, government can just do whatever they want. This is a recipe for tyranny. You know, you Christians are so simplistic and naive. Uh, we need to rebel against the governing authorities. They, they've taken the power by force. Okay. Um, that's the, the first side of the pushback. The other side of the pushback is this, um, is, is what this passage presupposes is that government is instituted by God for a particular purpose. They're not given a blank check and right. said, go spend this any way you want. Instead, they have to act as God's servant, as right. God's deacon uh, in, in the original Greek. So when government steps outside that role and no longer plays that role, Christians actually biblically and morally have an obligation not to obey. This is where the idea of civil disobedience comes in. And then we'll get pushback that says, you know, you Christians only care about yourselves. You don't care about society or what's best for others. You know, um, quit being so rebellious. And it's like, wait, five seconds ago, you were accusing us of being too authoritarian. You know, we're, but, but that's what happens when you stand firm and the river is changing directions all around you. When you've got a firm, um, uh, reference point, an absolute reference point like scripture, you're going to get pushback from both sides. Right. So I just want to throw that out there because I've seen both of those in my lifetime. Well, and again, it, we're just laying foundation for this and there's two different levels to it. Number one is big picture, what God expects of government in the world. And you just nailed it. There is a universal doctrine of what governments are and are not. And uh, no matter what you say, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the king of kings. He is the one who is over every other king, and every other king ultimately must bow to him. And when they fail to do that, uh, there's uh, it doesn't go well for them. <laughs> uh, I mean, just case in point, in Acts chapter 12, we see uh, Herod proclaiming himself as God and actually receiving worship, and God takes his life on that very day. Now, God doesn't always choose to work that way. That's a way he behaved in history once in Acts chapter 12, when a government official uh, pretended like he was God. Um, but it is very similar that, happened to Nebuchadnezzar, though. Nebuchadnezzar, That's, right? God humbles, humbles mm -hmm, people yes, who uh, usurp their, their place of authority. But in Romans 13, the government is seen as God's servant, their, his deacon, administering uh, his authoritative governance over geographic regions. And they have a couple responsibilities. Number one, they bear the sword, right? So verse 4 of Romans 13, the government is God's servant for your good. So they're there to bring about your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So again, here we see one of the purposes of government is to restrain sin. Uh, it's to not just restrain sin, but also to punish sin. Uh, when we act unjustly, uh, 
this is why uh, we don't take uh, a vengeance into our own hands as Christians. Uh, we trust that the government, uh, God has assigned the government. Ultimately, we trust God, but the government is also God's servant administering the sword to bring about his vengeance on those who break sin. And so government has a very real and important role to play, but it is also limited. They are not uh, authoritarian dictators to receive worship. They have particular functions, and one of them is to establish uh, uh, the sword, to bear the sword, and the other is to establish the possibility for its people to live a good life. Yeah, rewarding good behavior, punishing bad behavior, right? right. So so um, g giving out a presidential medal of freedom, great. Giving out, you know, purple heart, great. Um, uh, um, ex executing judgment uh, in the sense of, uh, you know, cr criminal courts, and um, and even uh, civil courts, things like that, as well as providing for the the national defense. You know, um, sort of uh, bearing the sword at kind of a national level. I mean, these are all good responsibilities of the government. But but, dude, that's not that many responsibilities. I mean, and I've I've debated this with um, with other well-meaning, biblically, you know, guys who are desirous of being biblically faithful. What is the role of government? And man, there is nothing in there about universal health care. There's nothing in there about public no. ed education. You know, I'm sorry, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going hard today. Maybe it's because I have a debate later tonight and I'm in that mood, but. but I think just when you and I start talking to each other, sometimes you, you get your adrenaline going. I get a little fired up, man, because you know what, if we're going to be, if we're going to be Christians and we're going to stand on the Bible and we're going to try to have a, a cohesive worldview, the Bible gives us a cohesive worldview. We, we have to believe what it says though. Mm. And the Bible tells us, do not add to his words, lest you be proven wrong, yeah. lest you be shown to be a liar. Yeah. So we can't get out there and say, hey, you know, yeah, the, the, the government bears the sword, the government bears, uh, you know, sanctions, good behavior and bad behavior. But, you know, we really, we need the government to educate and disciple our kids as well. Right. Know? So right. once, well, once it, it expands it, outside the boundaries, you end up in trouble. Yeah. And th those are fascinating conversations with a lot of different thoughts. And That's a rabbit trail. No, it's it's a it's a good rabbit trail, maybe for another day. But it's it's important to realize, even in those conversations, what's what's important for today, even in navigating those conversations, the Christian has to start from a Christian worldview. We've got to start from what does the Bible instruct of us? How does he expect families to operate? How does he expect us to think in relation to our government? And when do we see the government overstepping their bounds? And so they're good rabbit trails. I appreciate that. All right, man. So let's get into the Restore Illinois plan. Let's talk about and and just just because we are publicly discussing um, our elected official, our leader here. Um, let's go ahead and give the disclaimer that we are doing this out of the utmost biblically mandated respect for the office of the governor. We are not saying this in rebellion. We are not saying this out of um, a lack of any kind of submission. Uh, we submit to the governing authorities. I mean, Romans 13 commands us to. The, the, the Lord God Almighty has commanded us to submit to our authorities, and that includes authorities that we may or may not ag agree with. And so we do submit to our governing authorities, but it is incumbent upon us as men of God to be watchmen to Rafa, as, as you said earlier when before we before we met. Uh, before we started, we need to be watchmen. We need to call a spade a spade. We need to, um, we, we need to be able to highlight problems when we see them mm -hmm. and, and, and concerned. The Bible says a wise man sees trouble coming and prepares for it. 
So let's get our let's get our house in order here a little bit. And what is the Restore Illinois plan? And why might we have some concerns about it? I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> well, you're jumping right in. Uh, so, and I, I want to add to the 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 preface you just gave there and say a number of things. And first of all, uh, we are really living in an unprecedented time. As far as we can tell, uh, this is this is very, you know, we're in new waters. Everyone is trying to figure this out. And I, I just want to, before I critique anybody's plan, Prisker's uh, plan or Indiana's plan or whoever's plan, uh, I, I also just want to humbly say, uh, I, I am going to assume uh, that Governor Pritzker or whoever is putting these plans together has the best intentions in mind. Uh, I know, you know, one of the things Absolutely. as Christians, we want to be wise as uh, we want to be wise and we want to really look and be uh, intelligent with the way we think about the data. We want to look for ourselves, not just take other people's words on it and be intelligent with the way we think. But we also don't want to be gullible. I think that there's a lot of uh, I'll use the word conspiracy theories <laughs> because we all watch the same news. We're all on the same internet. Uh, there's a lot of wrong ways to quickly jump into a place that will take you away. And I think the Bible puts warnings and guardrails up for you. The last few days I've been reading Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. And I, you know, just reminding there's wisdom in being slow. Don't jump to extreme conclusions just right away. We should be aware and we should keep eyes open and be watchmen. Um, and so all that to say, I really want to believe the best in Pritzker. Uh, Joel, you and I have prayed for him together before. I remember the day that he signed uh, Illinois' abortion law into into place. You and I were at that facility on that day, and what, yeah. what, what were we doing? We were praying for him. Most yeah, and of the time they, we were praying. We were praying for him, and we were praying yeah. that uh, the law would not get signed. Now it yeah. did. And and they blocked off the entrance, uh, the uh, the egress, so that uh, people wouldn't pass by us as we were praying outside. Yeah, yeah. I remember they, that. They were quite well. rude. Uh, <laughs> No, no, we were, we came and we showed up and we were there to proclaim that there is no other name in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and we were, we were praying and that they didn't want that. They didn't uh, like however, that. But I, I do want to say what we were doing, we were praying for the governor, even when we disagreed with him. Um, and so I think that there's a, a, a fair place to do that. Now, what's the plan? Uh, and, and how do we talk about this as a church? The plan that was put out yesterday, it's a five-step plan. From what I can understand, uh, it's the governor's plan to get Illinois back on track. Now, obviously, uh, we would say COVID-19, this is a terrible, terrible sickness uh, that's come over the whole world. The whole world's kind of in it together. Um, it's, uh, you, I don't think you can draw direct comparisons to something like the flu uh, in that it seems to be worse than the flu. Uh, but it's also not the Black Plague, right? Like this is, I, I think when this first started out, and again, I'm trying to be wise. I'm not a medical specialist. I'm looking at the data everyone's looking at and, and using the same information everyone else has. When this thing first came out, I mean, I remember the day I picked my my kids up from school and all the schools shut down. They're like, oh, we're not going to go back to school for three weeks. This thing was being billed as the next Black Plague. And we were talking about death rates of 3% or higher. Oh, yeah. And... And really, more data has come in now. Yes, mm -hmm. it's very deadly. It is it is dangerous, particularly for the very elderly and with those with pre-existing conditions. And that's the data. And man, it is it's so sad. And the church has such a place to be with those who are suffering right now. That is like the church's place to shine. At the same time, it is not nearly as bad as everyone predicted it was going to be. And the data is out now. More and more data continues to come in. 
Um, and so I think what we need to be doing is, and what I hope and I believe the scientists in the medical world is doing, is they're looking at the newest data and they're looking at the newest rates and they're making plans based on that. Well, and as you know, a lot of states have begun opening up. Um, some countries have remained open. We look at Sweden and uh, yeah. obviously they remained open. They had uh, safety protocol in place and yeah. they were deciding how to do this. And everyone's trying to use their best judgment and best wisdom here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pritzker's plan, uh, as I saw it yesterday, it's five steps. I believe we're in phase two right now. And I don't have a pulled up, but maybe you could kind of walk through some of them, Joel, sure. some of the phases. But one of the phases that probably was most concerning for a lot of churches was phase five. Uh, it was phase five where groups of over 50 could begin meeting again. And in order to move into phase five, I think there were three protocols or th- one of three things had to happen. Number one, there had to be a vaccine. Uh which at this point, uh, I believe, I, I think Trump said on yesterday they were hoping by end of the year. And I think that's very optimistic uh, based on other things I've heard. It could be well into next year if a vaccine is even possible. Number two, there had to be good medication uh, that you could give to people to help them with their um, you know, symptoms if they find that they're testing positive for COVID-19. Or number three, there had to be a, a certain number of days in a row with zero new cases. Am I getting those three right? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So even even up into phase four, gatherings of 50 people or fewer are allowed. Restaurants and bars reopen. Uh, travel resumes. Child care and schools re- reopen under guidance from the Illinois Department of Public Health. Facial coverings and social distancing are the norm. It is in phase five that conventions, festivals, and large events are permitted. Mm. And the... Um, the requirement there is that a vaccine and effective and, wi- and widely available treatment or the elimination of new cases, one of those three things have has to obtain. Now, as a Christian, as a churchman, I'm reading this. Rafe, I'm noticing two things. One, there is no mention of churches here mm-hmm. at all, okay? It's as if church is so irrelevant that it's not even being mentioned here. Uh, the next thing I'm, I'm, I'm putting... I'm, I'm, I'm not a genius here, Rafe, but I can put two and two together. And what I'm seeing here is that the implication of this is that our church, which has more than 50 people for sure, cannot meet until there is a vaccine. Now, the information that I've heard, I know President Trump has talked about wanting to get a vaccine out very quickly. The the sort of uh, you know more measured voices that I've heard has talked about a vaccine not being available for like a year, mm-hmm. year and a half, you know, yeah. 18 months. I'm, I'm, I'm putting two and two together here, Rafe. And I'm realizing according to Pritzker, I'm not going to be able to meet with my church. I'm not going to be able to, you know, give grandma Terry a hug on Sunday morning and hear Dan Osborne preaching the gospel <laughs> face to face for a year and a half, man, a year and a half. Now, Potential, now Rafe, potentially Rafe. Yes. Potentially. Now, again, I'm going to I'm I'm right there with you in assuming the governor has all the best intentions here. And I'm I'm going I'm not going to jump on the conspiracy train and say he's intentionally tar- targeting churches or anything like that. But the very fact that churches which are protected under the first amendment mm-hmm. as the free exercise of religion are not even being factored into the equation here. Yeah. Well, is, I, is very problematic. Yeah, there's a bunch of problems. And so the first one, uh, that the church is not listed uh, as being relevant. Now, that's a big issue, and that's new. Uh, that's really a, a sign of the times. 
the fact that I'm not emergency personnel, that I cannot visit my people and care for them, uh, this is a new thing. Uh, never before has that been the case in America. Uh, we assumed, by the way, as a church, that the day this whole quarantine happened, the pastors would be listed as emergency personnel. Wait, can, can you flesh that out? You're not assumed to be, you're not called emergency personnel. What, what are the implications of that? And what does that mean? Uh, so I, I believe what that means. Uh, for example, we assumed when this whole started, the churches and pastors would be considered emergency personnel. And by the way, that comes from a biblical worldview. So processing this from a biblical worldview, that would be accurate. The church is not just a nice thing on the side. The church is uh, uh, necessary for the fabric of society. That's the biblical worldview. Uh the, the church doesn't just play a role in preaching on a Sunday, and the gathering is not just to you know, make Christians happy on a Sunday. The gathering of God's people is necessary for the moral flourishing of any society. Yes, and so, but, even, but even further than that too, Rafe, it's even if, even if you couldn't point to any social benefits, which you can, there are right. major social and economic benefits to be sure. That's been, that's been uh, proven. You put a right. church in a neighborhood and you just watch the neighborhood thrive economically. But even if the, those benefits weren't there, the right to freely assemble and the right to freely exercise your religion shall not be infringed um, by the, the the government. It's it's a protected right granted by God. So this isn't something that we have to establish or prove. We don't have to prove our worth to society. It's already assumed in our law. Um, so I, I just wanted to throw that out. Well, and the, I want to comment on two things there. So first of all, the, I'm going to come right back to that, Joel. Don't forget what you just said, because that's important. But I want to go back. What is amazing to me is what types of locations are allowed to be open. This is very telling. And this is what I think just as I think through, how am I thinking biblically about this? How am I being wise and really... You know, I don't just want to open up and be a nuisance to society. That's not the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is that we we care about people. We're the most caring about people. Right. That's right. Not the, right? This is right. not like, let us open up so we can right. get... No. We, can spread, we want to spread contagion everywhere. Oh, man. Oh, man. We're Christians. We love people. We care yes. deeply about people. Yes. Um, but we also are interested in what's actually happening, looking at the data and, and living within the liberties that our country has provided for us. Uh, what's fascinating is while pastors and churches are not considered emergency personnel or emergency uh, uh, op operations, so to speak, um, what is? <laughs> Liquor stores. Uh, weed dispensaries. Weed dispensaries. Abortion clinics. Right. The list goes on. And, and while if I was an atheist right now and I was listening to me speak, what I what I would what I would probably be saying if I had an atheist mindset that bought into the whole abortion movement is yeah but that's needed that needs to be necessary sure okay so weed dispenser <laughs> dispensaries right. uh, liquor stores uh, there's an agenda th th there's some kind of an agenda where somebody somewhere went down a list and yeah. said okay what things do we think are critical for society well, let's yeah, see. And and, and what brings in the money for society? There it is. The syntax, is. the syntax, right? bro. Right. And, and that's really, really from a biblical worldview. I have to counter that. And I have to say, let's be consistent here. Let's be consistent with our worldview. You can't, you can't open up tattoo shops and liquor stores and shut down churches. <laughs> like, right, right, like right. what, how did that happen? Where did we get into that place? To be fair too. Um, I've got no problem with there being liquor stores. Okay. I do. I have a, I obviously drunkenness is not okay, but I have a major problem with, right. uh, with abortion clinics, 
period. So, so this, so the fact that they're being declared as essential businesses and whatnot, um, that's a, that's a double whammy. That's a double problem because they shouldn't exist in the first place. We should not be dismembering little babies in the right. womb. I'm just, right. I'm, you know, putting my cards on the table as if there's any question cards are out there. In and, and then, and then the, the second thing is to call them essential, to call them essential when, um, when, when they shouldn't be existing in, in the first place, you know, you might say, well, that's just your opinion, man. You know, quoting the big Lebowski, that's just your opinion, man. But counter contradict it prove prove to me that abortion is is a, a morally good thing in the first place anyway y- you're right man as christians we have major problems with this and at the at the very least at the very least out of simple respect for our constitutional rights churches ought to have been included in emergency personnel pastors should have been included in, mer- in emergency personnel churches should have been included in essential businesses or even just even honestly rave just left off the list entirely mm-hmm. because because it's it because the government does not have a, that kind of authority over churches constitutionally speaking now if if there's a you know there there are extreme cases when the government can come in shut down a church temporarily if there's a shooter outside if there's a bomb inside yes out of safety, physical safety for people, get them outside. If there's an if there's a church that that's you know where there's some kind of outbreak, yeah, okay, we can talk about that. But to shut down all churches statewide indefinitely, not uh, and 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 actually we can talk about the governor's um, emergency powers. I actually found a document. I sent okay. it to you in the chat. But um, but you know maybe we should get into that. But, well, but just, we'll, we'll just the disregard, man. Yeah. Well, and I think. Out of respect to Pritzker, he's not an easy situation, right? This is not. Oh, 100% agree. Right? And I'm, you know, as much as I wish I was the governor, I'm not. <laughs> and I, 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 you have to respect how how hard this is. Real lives are being lost, and uh, this is this is difficult to decide what to do. the 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 question is not our lives being lost. The question is what is the American framework for navigating a situation like this. And do we live in a society where, um, in certain situations like the one we're in, is this one of those situations where the government essentially can take away all your constitutional liberties? And and it's with the data that's out right now, it's tough. It, I, here's me, just think, just looking at the data as I see it. It's tough for me to get to a place where I look at the numbers, right? Uh, you know, I've just, I don't know if people know this, right? I know COVID-19 is different than the flu. I would never argue differently. It's worse. 100%. But I do, it's important for people to know, right? Here's 2017-18 from the CDC. 45 million people got sick from the flu. 21 million medical visits. 810 hospitalizations. 61,000 deaths. 2018-19, 35,000 deaths. So over a period of just under two years, you're looking at 100,000 deaths just about due to the flu. And this is nationwide? Nationwide. Okay. And we didn't blink at shutting things down. Now, obviously, COVID-19 is much worse, and there's way more things. I've seen how bad it can be. I get oh, yeah. it. It's horrible. At the same time, having the same plan and 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 treating an entire, <laughs> an entire place uh, all the same and treating every single person when the exact same way and uh, – so, for example, if you look at the, the data that's coming in, obviously you and I uh, have a way lower rate, a lower 
chance, almost zero percent chance of uh, getting this in a, in a way that's going to cause death to you or I. Now, right. the, the flip side of that is you or I can get it and then we're contagious and we can give it to someone else and actually cause their death. God and now biblical worldview, Christians need to be concerned with that. We need to really be concerned with that. And we need to d demand and, and ask that we find some way to navigate this. I just don't believe that, and I really don't think it's uh, constitutionally right to shut everything down with the data that we have in right now. I don't see that in the, with the liberty and the framework of the Constitution. And I don't think the data calls for it. So if you look at, so I, I pulled up IllinoisPolicy.org and uh, they've got a great article from May 5th, uh, which was what, was that yesterday? Yes, yeah, yesterday. Yeah. So this is this is fresh, okay. And it's addressing the question of where do these emergency powers come from mm. and the the first place they come from it it is um it is enshrined in the 10th amendment of the u.s constitution that state governments retain what are known as police powers to protect the welfare safety and health of their residents that's a quote from this article in keeping with the, the 10th amendment of the u.s constitution all right so now the um so pritzker declared a statewide disaster on march 9th and according to Section 7 of the Illinois Emergency Management Agency Act, um, in the case of a disaster such as a viral epidemic, the governor can issue a proclamation declaring that disaster, allowing him to exercise the emergency powers authorized in the act for a period of, Rafe, up to 30 days. Oh, that's actually in the law? That's actually in the Illinois Emergency Management Agency Act. State and local police can work together to enforce orders given under these emergency powers. Now, Pritzker declared a statewide disaster on May, on March 9th. As we speak, today is May 6th. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's more than 30 days. Right. Okay. Now, and and I don't know if he's if he's attempted some sort of legal work around there. I don't know, Rafe. Maybe he's maybe he's just re-upping it. I don't know if that's something you can just, you know, <laughs> just re-up like, oh, I need another 30 days. But but listen to the emergency powers. Um, they're included, but not limited to the following. And I, and and tell me what's conspicuously ab absent here. Okay. To suspend any provisions of regulatory statute that would prevent, hinder, or delay necessary action by state or state agencies. In other words, clear the, clear the way so that state agencies can do their work. Fine. Okay. To utilize all available resources of the state government reasonably necessary to cope with the disaster. Okay, that's part of the executive branch. Yeah, use the rate resources we have. To redirect state departments or agencies toward disaster response purposes, to control the movement of persons and occupancy of premises within the disaster area. Let's come back to that. To provide temporary emergency housing, to control, and then finally, to control, restrict, and regulate the use, sale, or distribution of food, feed, fuel, clothing, or other commodities, materials, goods, or services. Now, Rafe, the one provision here, and I, and I understand this might not be an exhaustive list, but this is the most exhaustive list I found of his emergency powers. It says that he can uh, control the movement or persons, uh, uh, movement of persons and occupancy of premises within the disaster area. Now, as you said earlier, Rafe, the data is now in. We now know that the curve has not only been flattened in Illinois, the, the curve is way flatter than we thought it was going to be. And to that, I say, praise God. 
mm-hmm. because I'm with you. This is a deadly disease. I would never want a single person to suffer or die from this disease. I, I didn't tell you this, but my, my grandmother-in-law was actually diagnosed with uh, mm-hmm. COVID-19. She has actually since recovered, but you know she fits in the, the vulnerable category. And so we were praying hard. Um, so, so praise God, the curve wasn't worse. But Rafe, by what justification does the governor treat the entire state of Illinois as a disaster area. Now, I understand in the Restore Illinois plan, it is regionally differentiated, but even the very fact that he's he's um, putting you know restrictions, continued restrictions into phase two, phase three on some of these you know uh, lesser affected areas shows that he's applying this emergency declaration to the whole state. And what's the justification for calling the entire state of Illinois a disaster area? Hmm. Uh, what's 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 the at this point? What's the justification for calling anything, any area, a disaster area? I mean, I really would like to know the, the justification. Yeah. Well, Maybe and, you've seen that. I haven't. Well, and. He- let me, let me respond to that this way, and maybe I, I might balance out a little bit of what you're saying a little bit right now, because I think what I want to make sure that I'm communicating clearly is I am not advocating right now for every church to just go open up, right? I, that's not that's not what I'm advocating for. I, I saw yeah. a few churches that wrote a great, and, and I know you're sorry, you're not. I know you're not either. Um, I did see a number of churches that that came together and and they said something very important. They said, look. Governor Pritzker, we see your five-step plan, and based on what you're saying, the, the option for us to open up, you, you're, you're, you're telling us we are commanding us to stay closed for an unforeseeable future until something way off in the future. And they said, we want you to know, per the Constitution, the separation of church and state and the liberties we have enshrined in this country, and this is where people don't think fully about understanding the nature of the Constitution and how the country is developed. We, we don't live in a monarchy. We live in a republic. Uh, and, and there are liberties that are enshrined here. And the church, the pastor said, look, we have voluntarily submitted to your request to stay closed because we respect you. We pray for you because we respect our peers and because we, we, we want the best for our city where we're living. Amen. It, it was a voluntary act of courtesy because we prayed over it and we said, you know what? Everything we're seeing, this makes sense. Let's respect the governing authorities right now. But then they said, make no mistake. You don't have the authority to tell us to stay closed. We have the authority to open. Now, that's an area that I think some people would hear that and say, whoa, no, you don't. And to that, I would say, I think we need to go read our constitutions again and really get an understanding for what the fabric of America is. Again, I'm not arguing to go open up every church. I am arguing that we do need to watch what's happening right now with a close eye, because when the government comes in and says, hey, uh, churches, you need to be closed for an extended period of time until this uh, until this disease is he- is literally 100 percent healable. That's almost an outrageous statement because we wouldn't do we have never done that before. And again, with the flu, 61000 deaths in one year just two years ago. And you don't close the church for that. COVID-19 is worse, but when you get to a place where you see it going down, you understand how to control it, you know who's most vulnerable, you can quarantine appropriately, you can set up the right... It seems like there's some stepping over of liberties that we really have to take seriously and speak in a way uh, that speaks up for them and not just say, let the church be the church and politics be politics. Let's speak into it and help shape how this works out with love for people. 
Right. Amen, dude. And, and, you know, this idea of let the church be the church and let politics be politics is, is fine until those spheres of authority start encroaching on one another. Hmm. Right. So if, if the um, state of Illinois were to come out or, or actually um, not even the state of Illinois, but um, let's say the, the federal government were to come out and say, you know what, we're going to start taxing churches. As some recently, uh, Beto O'Rourke made that a, a plank in his platform right. uh, when he was when he that was lasted a long time. Yeah, well, right, of course, <laughs> because we view that as absurd. But you know something, Rafe? If you had told me a year ago that the church was going to be restricting church, uh, the government right. was going to be restricting churches from meeting, I would have said, yeah, no, that's res- that's absurd as well. Right. So what's absurd today can very easily become reality tomorrow. And all it has to do is move from absurd to plausible to uh you know seen as needed and then pretty soon it becomes unquestionable right and um so uh micah morgan is asking so what happens if they never develop a vaccine or come up with a cure and that that is exactly it or what happens when the goalposts and again i'm not assuming that anyone has nefarious purposes here but what if the goalposts move rafe because here's the thing they already have moved that's right. That's right. right. The first goalpost was flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm the hospitals. Right. It was never make sure there's a vaccine in place. Right. right. Everyone knows that's absurd. Right. But now it's make sure there's a vaccine in place before you can open up. Right. And so it's already moved. So you're right. Yeah. And 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 what happens when they come out and they say we have a vaccine, but it's only forty five percent effective. So so that's still not good enough. Um. And the reason why I use that number, Rafe, is because the most recent flu vaccine was forty five percent effective. Hmm. And and not only that, but who's to say that everyone's going to get vaccinated? Uh, and and Rafe, now this is where the, the con- conspiracist in me, conspir- conspiracy theorist in me comes out a little bit. Imagine a scenario in which it's required for prisoners to be vaccinated, okay? And then imagine a scenario in which church attendance is criminalized by penalty of prison. Suddenly, you've got well-meaning, good-faith Christians who don't want to get vaccinated being vaccinated against their will because they're being arrested and put in prisons. Now, Rafe, that seems implausible to us today. And and I'm mentioning churches, of course, because I'm a Christian. But what about Muslims? Yeah. What what about um, what what about uh, social clubs? Okay. Yeah. What about Mormons? Um. There, there. This is this is bigger than just us. Obviously, I'm pr- primarily concerned with Christians. The Bible says, "Do good to everyone, especially the household of God." But do good to everyone. Right. So there's more at stake here, and especially, well, I won't get into some of the other charges I was going to make against the governor. But the 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 point is, when you move the goalposts, and you can get away with it, you can keep doing that indefinitely, indefinitely, and. And Rafe powers it powers a powerful thing. Yeah. And the ability for power to corrupt well-meaning individuals is a very dangerous thing. You're playing with fire. Yeah, you are. And I think the what's very fascinating is with the whole Bernie Sanders thing that just happened over the last five years, you know, back in 2016, he he nearly won the Democratic uh, primary. And then uh, he made a good run at it this this time. And and people who comment on it say, you know, even though he even though Biden beat him to it. Uh, beat him at it. Uh, Biden or uh, Sanders has had a major impact on how people view government and how they think about the responsibility of government. And I want to just make sure, like, it's a very unbiblical view. Um, 
and, and I know we're not going into this right now in the the nature of socialism and, and all of that kind of stuff, uh, but but just so we understand, you know, uh, Karl Marx and his understanding of massive government was rooted and unapologetically rooted in an atheistic worldview That's that right. believed that government was the savior, that the nuclear family was the dis was distortion and the the ruin of society, and that only the government could fix, heal, and make a society strong. And it fundamentally fell apart. It did not work. It has not worked. It's never worked. It has never led to flourishing. It's only led to death. But what's happened with Sanders, and, and obviously I'm not a Sanders fan because I'm not a Marxist fan. I'm not a socialist fan. I think the biblical worldview is something other than that. The biblical, Dude. <laughs> what? Dude, so good. The biblical obviously, worldview. Obviously, I'm not a Sanders fan because I'm not a Marxist <laughs> fan. That's a quote. Somebody put that in a quote. The biblical worldview. Look, and I'm not just playing politics here. I'm not like Republican, Democrat. That, we can, there, there's plenty of stuff to bash in the Republican Party for, okay? So let, I'm, just, I'm just picking Amen. on one of the things I've seen take place is that there is a natural bend in people today to assume that the government is the savior and that whenever there's a problem, the government needs to fix it. And if there is a problem, it's probably the government's fault that there's a problem. And so then the, the best solution is find, hire more people for the government create more agencies and put something out. And that is not the worldview of the Bible. We have to, as Christians, we really need to look at what is the limited scope that God says the governments are supposed to do and understand personal responsibility for, for living out the Christian worldview and being the solution. The church is actually the solution. Jesus is the one that saves, not the state. And we got to keep pointing people towards Jesus and uh, a localized government uh, worldview, which is what I believe the the, the biblical worldview. So, Rafe, man, we got to start bringing this to a close here. Not yet. Not yet. We've got a few more minutes. So everybody don't start tuning out yet because this next part is going to be absolutely golden. So, Rafe, you said we got to we want people to look to Jesus. Bro, can we just give some biblical encouragement to people right now? Because a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, you're going to get a couple of responses. You're going to get you're going to get the response. Oh, you know, uh, you Christians are are just being uh, rabble rousers, or uh, you know, you're being rebellious, and you really don't care. Uh, I had a <laughs> I had a woman accuse me. Uh, I don't I don't think she. God God bless her. I'll just say that I don't think she really meant this, but she basically said, um, you know, why should we reopen just because you want to go get your nails done? You know, mm -hmm. like they, just stay home, just be safe. And it's like, man, you know, it's, it's been a little while since I had my last manicure. That's not really my, I'm really, I can, listen, I can work from home. Not only that, but I've got um, vulnerable health situations in my family. I'm not in a rush to go out and rejoin and start using public toilets again and, and touching everybody's doorknobs. All right. That's not my point. My point, this isn't about me. My point is about society. I'm watching people's lives being ruined here. So right. That's the first response. The second response is going to be liberty-minded individuals getting all, you know, worked up into a lather and getting real frothy and going, you know, we got to go storm Springfield and, and you know, get our AKs and, and all this stuff. And Rafe, just to be clear, can we just say we're not advocating for that? Yes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the answer, I'm agreeing with you. We are not advocating for that. Okay. I wasn't okay. sure that was a yes or no response. No, no, Which no. one was, I agree with you. Yeah. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. Absolutely okay. not on your AK-47s yes. uh, don't go storm government buildings. That's not right. a Christian way of behaving right now. Right, right. That's right. So so can we just give some biblical encouragement to people that, um, that will encourage them to look to Jesus, okay? Not to look to our state government in fear, 
not to look to our federal government in uh, you know uh, re regret or uh, with accusation, okay? But but really to think about this biblically. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, Revelation 19:16 says, "On his robe." This is depicting Jesus Christ in his resurrected, fully glorified state. It says, "On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written: King of Kings and Lord." of lords. You might say president of presidents and governor of governors. Or no, better yet, how about this? King of presidents and lord of governors, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like he's not even in the same category. Right. He's just so transcendent in his authority. And yeah. that is the Jesus we look to in times like this, when we get all, we were tempted to get all worked up and, yeah. uh, and worried. Yeah, Joel, and I think this is a great place to kind of bring it to a close. Wait, to the Christians who are listening, I, I just want to make sure you guys are hearing one thing really clear. And Joel just nailed it. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. We look to his word. He's communicated with clarity. And we have a, a, a humble boldness about us. We have a, a wisdom as Christians that we want to really understand the facts. And we live with such a charity for other people because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Man, that ought to be what you are most known for right now. You don't be most known for your political views. Don't be most yeah. known for your the amount of data you know and everything. Be most known for your love. Let people see that. That's the Christian historical place to stand, and that is when Christianity is best. But also don't throw facts out. Don't throw history out. We want to be wise. We want to look at what God has called us to steward this great American uh, tradition of ours, which is a great American tradition. It's this great experiment where we have certain liberties and they're enshrined in a constitution. And to live them out meaningfully and well, and to look to Jesus for wisdom in all things. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that at any point, we don't have to go somewhere. We don't even have to be gathered together as the assembly of, of God's people. We can just right now ask God, God, how are you calling me to behave today? What are you calling me to do? How do I speak? How do I love? How do I witness? How do I help my neighbors who are totally freaked out right now or sick or financially hurting? How do I step into their brokenness the way you stepped into mine? That's where the church shines. So turn to Christ. Listen to the Spirit. He is speaking right now. He's doing incredible work. I'm watching it all over the place. Oh, yeah. Pastorally, this is some of the most exciting time for me as a Christian because I'm watching the Holy Spirit move, and I'm confident there's a really good end to this uh, where the, the church is way stronger than we were going into it. And so... That's my encouragement. Thank you for watching the Worldview Wednesday episode of the Think Podcast. My name is Joel Sedicase. I, of course, have been joined by my good buddy, Rafe Shenry, Pastor Rafe. Rafe, can you hear the music right now? Man, you picked a good thing there, man. I, oh, I just can't even talk off my head to that. So good, dude. So good. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I just want to remind you, this is not goodbye. This is just a little pit stop along the way of your spiritual journey. And until next time, I hope it made you think.